welcome you to episode 35 of Moving Matters. I am your host, Colin Wynn. I hope Moving Matters will give you an insight into others working or have worked in this wonderful industry as I delve into their past, their present and their future. You will find a new episode of Moving Matters on the second and fourth Thursday of each month. In this episode, we discover that my guest began his career in the industry 40 years ago at the tender age of 16. We discuss how he became involved in the industry, his challenges, what he would change from his past, his high points, what changes he would make, the advice he would give to himself starting out again, where he sees himself in the industry in the next five years, and what he does in his spare time. And as always, we do have a funny moving story regarding a trip to the Isle of Wight, but we end with a game my guest wants to play with me. My guest this episode is Alan Bennett, director of Britannia Bennett's of Malvern. Enjoy. Good morning, Alan. Welcome to Moving Matters. How are you today? Thank you, Colin, for inviting me to your fantastic podcast. I'm fine and ready to um, have a chat for the next sort of three quarters of an hour or whatever. Let's do it. Let's do it. So can you tell everyone about yourself and the length of time within the industry? Yep, I was born in August 1965, so I'm 56. I'm married to Judith for 24 years and uh, she's my business partner and uh, the best friend. We have three children. Ellie, 22, she runs a self store. Charlie, 21, he's HGV driver. And we've got Harry, 13, who they're both planning to get in the business, but I'm not so sure. I've been in the business removals since 16. When I joined a company called Ernest Batty Limited, who were a BAR firm, and they were like a five-beer cooperation. And I stayed there until they went into liquidation in 1985. In that time, Ken Batty ran it. He was fantastic. Uh, He trained me. He put me on a young driver scheme to start with. I had three months in Hereford College doing transport law, which got me a transport manager CPC. I then did my car test, forklift truck. Do you remember IARCL? Uh, I do, yes. And that was mentioned the other day because I'm from Shrewsbury, so that's just around the corner from me. Yeah, Motec. Okay, we used to go there. I'd done basic porter packing, advanced course packing, export packing, foreman's course. It was just went on. And then, uh, and then when I was 18... I got an HGV under a young driver's, which I know you can get 18 now as standard, but in those days it was 21 and you had to be on the young driver scheme. And so I learned the job really from the bottom up okay and I'm a sort of time served removal man. And since then, like it's been 35 years as Bennett's of Morgan Limited, we started on the um, 27th of March, 1987. So at the age of 16, you went into removals. What made you decide, okay, I'm going into removals? Because that's a problem today. Nobody leaves school and says, I'm going to be a removal man. Colin, quite right. When I left school, I didn't know what I wanted to do. Okay, Well, I did. I wanted to be a professional cyclist. But unfortunately, I didn't make the grade. And I think by September 81, I realised that I was crap. And I wasn't going to be in good at all. <laughs> but, uh, but anything was better than going to work, okay? But then my father said to me, he was a council officer, and he said, well, son, you, you've got to get a job. So I went down the career centre. The careers girl said to me, what do you want to do, son? And I said, I couldn't think of anything. So I said, a mechanic. She said, oh, there's a mechanic course starting at Hereford uh, next week. She said, go and see Mr. Speaks. I went to see Mr. Speaks there, and he said, where do you live, son? I said, uh, Worcester, what I did at the time. Right, he said, I need to start with a firm. He said, uh, I know Ken Batty. He said, hang on, Ken Batty. This, this was a conversation. I'm sat there as a sick thing. <laughs> Ken, I said, I need a favour. He says, and I know Ken said, what's that then? He says, I've got a young lad here. He said, I need 13 for the course. He said, this is the 13th one. He said, I need you to take him on. And I said, Ken, oh, I've got no work. I, I don't need another one. I'm, I'm fully. And he said, Ken, have I done you a load of favours in the past? He said, and he's going, yes, oh, yes, yes, Mr. Speaks. And he said, well, I'm asking for one now. Oh, he said, oh, send him down. Okay, so that was it. And I was on this course for 13 weeks, came back. <laughs> Nobody wanted me. It was 1981. There was no work. And that was the thing I was going to say, that when I left school in 81, 
There was no work. There was no apprenticeships. There was nothing. It was like a depression had just started. And I was lucky even to get a, a start. Now, I was quite cocky when I started. And the blokes used to give me an hard time. They didn't want me there. I don't think I particularly wanted to be there. But um, Ken Batty was full of enthusiasm. And I thought, well, I'll be all right for a winter. Then I'll ride my bike next summer. And of course, you know, 40 years later, I'm slumping furniture. See, once you're in, you never get out. <laughs> you never get out. It's easier to get out of prison than it is out of the removal industry. <laughs> Colin, I've loved it. I absolutely loved the industry. Uh, it's a wonderful industry. Absolutely fantastic. It's one massive family. And it just, even the brotherhood on the vans to the relationships we have as leaders and managers, absolutely fantastic. So can you tell everyone about your company and the services it offers? Bennett's of Malvern Limited, although the trading name is Britannia Bennett's of Malvern. It's just really like every family business from removals to all other things. It could be a gardening service. We have four HGV trucks. We have two and possibly four Lolos. I say that because the Lolos is two on the van hire. And then we have... Eight staff on the vans, nine actually at the moment, because I've got another lad on up to Christmas. They're all fantastic. They start coming in, not knowing anything about life. And most of our employees are sort of under 21, but that's not quite true. Probably half or probably four. It's like a, a, an old ship with a young crew. And, <laughs> but, but the NCOs are all quite old. You know, I've got Paul, who's my foreman, okay, been with me 20 years plus. He sort of steadies them all down. It's Storm and John been with me he's had two breaks but he's been with us since 95 and then I've got another senior man who's only recently joined but you know he's sort of my side of 50 Bill and he steadies the youngsters down and of course the youngsters have got all this enthusiasm where you know this old <laughs> blokes are waning it's like come on let's do it and do you know Colin as we've been through Covid and, and they have been fantastic you know I would never have got through the last 18 months without them. And then in the office, we have myself and Judith, we're just sort of leaders really. And then we've got my daughter, Ellie, who runs the South Store. We've got Natalie, who answers the phone. She's brilliant. I can't believe the work she gets through in a day. She gets back to everybody, just fantastic. And then we have Claire, who does the accounts. She works two and a half days a week, just the storage accounts. And she deals with any claims we get. We don't get a lot, but what we do get She's the nicest person you'll ever want to deal with. She's fantastic. And our backup, I always say to people, you know, you don't know how good a company is until you have a problem. And then exactly. it's, it's how good the backup is. Okay. And I, and I honestly think that our backup is 120%, you know, if there is that such a thing. So storage, you have containerized storage, self-storage, and I know you do archive storage. Tell me more about your self-storage and your containerized storage. We have a two-acre site in Malvern with a 20,000 square foot warehouse, half of which will become self-store and it's mostly developed, but they're still to be finished. And the other half houses something in the region of about 350 containers, which we used to hold something like 700 containers, but the self-store is slowly creeping through and the wooden containers going. Then in the yard, we have D-mounts and we have 20-foot shipping containers. So it is a one-stop shop. You can come to Bennett's. Like Mark Brackley said in his podcast, it's to one shop, everything's there, cartons, whatever you want, it's there. So the self-storage exists, but it's growing. You're, you're, I take it then you're doing it like a floor-by-floor floor basis? We put in two years ago um, 130 units, right. a full We've got another 130 units going in after Christmas. Nice, 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 nice. Let me ask you this. Are you finding it easier to sell self-storage or containerized storage, or is it just different? That's a good point. Now, for me, I don't think that self-storage in the rooms is suitable for moving. I hate it when I see another removal firm turn up, moving someone into the um, self-store, not because I've got anything against them, uh, the company. It's just that removal men, they drag stuff on the floor, they scratch it, they beat the units up. And really, 
I like businesses in there where or people where they've got like a shared contents in it because a lot of people use them there. There's no storage space in these modern houses and they need to hire a self-store room for um, an extra room. And that's what they're for. They're absolutely brilliant, but I, I don't think that they're suitable for storing furniture. So you either want the wooden crates or a 20-foot shipping container. Now, you know, the disadvantage of 20-footers is, is that this time of year you do get condensation in them, but they are still a good method of storing. And of course, you know, then we do the demands for short-term storage, which are a godsend. But you've also got, with the shipping containers and the self-storage rooms, you've also got this double handling all the time. Whereas if it's going into wooden containerized storage, it's loaded outside the house into the containers, it's unloaded outside the house, back to the house. Totally agree, Colin. And, and um, I was, the reference was for self-storage when we what I was just talking about. But for, yeah. for removal and storage, containers are brilliant. The only thing that they're not so good on is outside effects. So if you've got a lot of mowing machines, wood, lengths of wood, ladders, yeah. you really need to um, sell them a 20-foot shipper as well as. So all the nice things go in the, um, the containers and all the sort of, you know, outside effects, the pots and that can go in a 20-foot shipping container. The other thing which we do, which is unique, and I started doing in the lockdown, is we wash all the blankets, okay? So, you know, we, we, are, we operate so much better now than before. And uh, we've got something like 5,000 blankets. And I bring them home here, install the washing machine in the garage. And when a job comes out of store, we wash the blankets. And so everything, the uh, containers are all, what is the word? With a machine, I'm trying to think. Can you help me? The fogging machine, that's the word. Oh, yeah, the fogging machines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I think really that um, although COVID, there's been a lot of bad things, there's been some good things we've, um, which we've come out of. Oh, most definitely. The other one is video surveys. I've been trying to do video surveys for years. Britannia got up an app five years ago, and we've been doing it on distance jobs and out of area jobs, but getting it um, a video survey locally was nigh on impossible. What we want to visit. And when we came back on, because we had the standard seven weeks off, and when we came back, we just made a pledge that we were doing video surveys. And now 95% of what we do are video surveys. And the 5% we don't do, we should be doing with a video. But my wife goes out because I've refuse to go out these days and do a call because I don't think there's anything necessary. And they are so expensive. You know, with fuel, the price it is, and doing 100 miles a day, I mean, that's sort of three gallon of fuel. And fuel is, at the moment, 150 a litre. That's £6.75 a gallon, which is horrific. So um, I think we need to cut the costs. And success rate on videos, just as good as visits. Accuracy, no different. And, uh, and you can have quite a good relationship with people, even on a video, as we are having now. I'm not sold by them. I'm sorry. I'm just not sold by them. I think there's a, a, a place for them. I still think they have GDPR issues all over them, but that's just my opinion. But on the other hand, Colin, when you go around and do a, a visit, a physical visit, you're not recording it. So if you miss something... Yeah. At least if you have got a video survey, you, it's the only way to record who says what. There's a dispute. But there, there's still massive GDPR over that. If it's classed as a video surveillance as such, you can only keep it for 30 days. Mm. It's either 30 days or three months. I think it, it might be three months, but I need to double check on that. When did you join Britannia and what was your deciding factor? What happened was we had built the new warehouse at Britannia Way and we named the road Britannia Way in anticipation in joining because we had this idea when we built it that we were going to join Britannia. It was sort of one of the aims I had because when you're trading with just your own name, you can only take it so far. And then yeah. once you feel that you've got it as far as it can go, you need more of a national name. So... We named the road Britannia Way, okay, and we didn't do anything more about it. And then we, we were at a VAR meeting, and Judith had a chat with Paul Delo, and Paul Delo said to Judith, Judith, Hereford and Worcester's vacant. 
would you like to take it on? And if, he said, if you're interested, I'll pass it through to David Tracy and we'll arrange an interview. And that's what happened. And then uh, it took sort of six months for it to happen. But the six months came and, and we joined. And, and to be fair, it's probably one of the better decisions we've ever made because Britannia, there are such a lot of knowledgeable people, far more knowledge than I'll ever have. I mean, David Trenchard, fantastic knowledge. Mike Andrews, brilliant. You've got Lanes, Rob, Mark, Angus, fantastic. You know, and they all give their... Don't forget Rhea. Don't forget Rhea or she'll write into me. (laughs) And they'll all give the knowledge away, you know. And of course, because we're in different areas, you'll share ideas. And then, then, you know, and I probably miss people. You've got Stuart Sanderson's, you know, Beersby. They're fantastic. And Chris Smallwood, Malfleet. They are such nice people. They are an awesome bunch of people, I will admit that. And they know how to party too. <laughs> well, I think you can I think the entire removal industry knows how to party. <laughs> I think you're right. So it was one of the better decisions, like I said, and um, and I've been really happy with Britannia. And one of the great things about joining Britannia, a chap said to me once, I moved a chap and he was a, a marketing executive and he was uh, in his seventies and um, he had a London firm. And he said, you know, Alan, he said, uh, being in Britannia is a real clever idea. He said, because marketing this day and age is so expensive, there's only a limited amount one firm can do. You need a group uh, to put the money in. And I, and I didn't realise at the time, but I do now. And so we are so lucky to be a part of Britannia organisation. And it is the way they share work out, corporate work, the shipping. It's, it's unbelievable. OK, and even at the top, everybody's so helpful. But I mean, I have to just point across to your listeners that we are a cooperative because people say, oh, you're a franchise and we're not a franchise. Okay, we all own a share of it. We're all shareholders. Okay, and that is a problem, Britannia, is that if the management, okay, which, you know, they're not really the management, but they're the centre at um, Mersden, think of something and they bring it to the membership, nine times out of 10, the membership say, oh, no, we ain't doing that. And then on the one item which they say, yeah, yeah, we like that, God, they're pushing the management. It's like we run out of my line. Like, come on, we want it done now, not next week. So it's, it is fantastic. And the other thing about it, I mean, just how friendly they are. When we were in lockdown, Mike Andrews started this workshop up north, and um, and we had a meetings every two or three weeks. I think it was to start with about how we were going to start back, what procedures we needed. And then uh, we invited different people. Well, he did invite different people who carried on working to see what they were doing. And so gradually over the weeks, we put all these procedures together. So the great thing about the lockdown when it came is I didn't want to stop. And Judy said to me, she said, how long are you going to carry on for, Alan? And I said, do you know, Jude, we're going to work as long as we could. But what happened was COVID was getting more serious. And I realized that really we we had no procedures in place. This is pre-March. You know, we've got a lot of young lads on the move. And I just thought, if one of these lads gets COVID, goes home and dies, their parents are never going to forgive us, okay? And really, when he turned around and said, you're stopping on Wednesday or whatever it is, old Boris had his chat with us all, I was quite relieved, okay? And um, But then when we started back on May the 11th, we were fully prepared. We had the systems in place. And the BAR sent out loads of good information, if you remember, Colin. Yeah, we're absolutely brilliant. But the other good man was AIM, Scott uh, Russ. He took the uh, government statements and actually put them into forms and just sent them out. So we had risk assessment forms and he shared them. I mean, we're not members of AIM, but he just shared it to the old industry. It was just a fantastic thing to do. I mean, we did actually buy a lot of PPE off him, you know, to say thank you, because I felt we had to support the guy when he was giving all this stuff away to the industry and knowledge. It was just brilliant. But the BAR was brilliant. Well, that's the industry as a whole. And hats off to Scott. So let's go through some standard questions then, Alan. What challenges have you had to overcome? We've had many challenges. I mean, from when I started in 87, there was a house purchase collapse in 89. Can you remember that, Colin? Oh, yeah. And that lasted really all the way through until 97. And there wasn't a lot of money earned in those few years. In fact, as you know, Colin, there's not a lot of money in removals, full stop. It's hard. And that's one of the things that we've had as Bennett's is 
just lack of cash throughout the time we've been operating. But then we had the 2008 financial crash, and that was a big hit. I mean, reduced our turnover straight away by 30%. The bank, because we were buying the warehouse, this time we owed three quarters of a million pounds, which, um, which is a lot of money, okay? We were taking off our bank manager, a chap called Stuart Forrester, who was absolutely brilliant and believed in me totally. I said to him once, I said, Stuart, what would you lend me? And he said, um, I'll lend you a million pound, L. And I thought, crikey, I wouldn't even lend myself a million pounds, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, we got taken off, Stuart, and we put under emergency measures, which was criminal, in my opinion, because the bank, they just don't understand businesses like ours. We weren't um, at risk of going broke. We made a small profit that year, but it was a small profit, but it was better than a loss. And it took two years for us to get back to where we were before. So quite quickly recovered. And, um, and we did manage to buy a, a couple of trucks in, in that time. And that was good. The next challenge, I think, and the biggest one for all of us is COVID. I, I don't know if it's affected you, Colin. We had a good run. We came back in May. And besides my lad getting COVID in, I think it was last November. And, um, and one of the great things about that, George Lamb in Worcester, their manager, rang me up. Al, I heard you've got COVID. Can we help you? And I said, no, it's fine. We're okay. It's fine. But really, thank you for asking. And I just thought that was brilliant. What a nice gesture, you know? Very nice indeed. And then the other thing on COVID, it actually affected us when they released the lockdown of opening pubs. And I think in July, the office staff got wiped out <laughs> and we had no office staff. And luckily, we had a, a young girl who was helping out and she wasn't very experienced, but she manned the phones and she'd done a fantastic job. Okay, Becky, her name is, she's not working for us now. She's gone off and found another job, but she kept that business afloat probably for two or three weeks. And then it just seemed that the phone was going every other day and um, somebody was off with COVID. And, you know, you've got work commitments. It's busy because obviously July was the end of the um, stamp. Uh, no, was that it was June. Yes, yeah, so we were lucky there, but it was still busy. And that continued through to August, September. And it came to a point that um, I was booking out three blokes on every job, not because they warranted it, but I felt it was the only way to continue to carry out the jobs safely if anybody else went sick. So, and I'm still operating like that now. So we're overstaffing jobs, okay, at the moment we can get the money for it. So it's not a big problem. When I get the confidence back and Judith and the rest of the team to start doing two-man crews again, I, I don't know Colin, to be fair, but uh, this pandemic is a long way from over. But um, I'm sure that every company, besides removal country, in the country has had the same issues as what Bennett's has had. And, but the thing is with removals, if you've got a completion, you can't let people down. You've just got to get them out. I mean, most jobs, if you're a plumber and you get COVID, just ring them up and say, well, I won't be coming out today. I'll do it next week. But removals, we've got this care of duty. But at the end of the day, it isn't worth killing yourself over. No, not at all. Not at all. Not one bit. So if you could change anything from your moving past, what would it be? If I could change anything, and there's one thing, is when Emlyn Evans was a member of Britannian, he was squab. Yep. He was only a young bloke, and he was about 29 or 30 when he joined, but he had all these modern ideas, and he had it weighed up, and still has, and his business is fantastic. And he put himself on a business life coaching course. And I asked him, what did you do? And what was it about? Well, he said he was going to send me an email and he never did. And I suppose I can understand that because after you paid for a course, why do you want to give everything away? But it so fascinated me. Bought a few books, went onto YouTube and I found out what it was for myself. Now, if I was a young man starting out again, I wish that it hadn't taken me the best part of 20 odd years to find out about life coaching. I put myself on the course and I would life coach and get some business coaching because I think for 20 years, I was probably 
far too hard on the staff. I thought that I was perfect. And well, I don't know if I did think I was perfect, but I wanted perfect men. And really, whatever they'd done, it wasn't really what I wanted. But I did know that if they were on something like Pickford, they'd all be top men. And then when I read the first book, I realised that what I was looking for, I really had. They were all perfect. And it so shocked me that the problem was with myself and not with them. I mean, they gave me everything they could and, and the company. I mean, what else can you do? And that's one of the things that I would change if, if I could. Is I definitely recommend any of your listeners, if you're just starting off, go and buy some books, go on YouTube, educate yourself. If anybody damages the van, try not to worry about it. They're going to earn you lots of money in the future. You know, under a quid on a van now and again, it ain't going to make any difference. But you'll upset somebody so quickly by keep going on. If you make a big deal out of knocking the bumper, okay, they'll be frightened to tell you that they've knocked the bumper, okay. They'll be frightened to tell you they've damaged something. And you really, it's all about nurturing people along and getting the best out of them and encouraging them, not running them down. I, I No, I absolutely agree with that. I, I think that's a, a, a well-made point. I really, really do. The last thing you want is to have your staff being fearful of telling you they've made a mistake. And we all make mistakes. Don't we we just, all make mistakes. Every day of the week, we make mistakes, but we learn from them. Don't we just? Don't we just? And, you know, most of the mistakes we make, you don't mean to make them. And I'm probably going to make a lot more mistakes before I retire. And uh, <laughs> let's hope that I don't get too cane for it and people let me off. But we're all the same. You know, everybody is only a human being. Okay, we've all got feelings. We've got pride. We must be encouraged. I mean, Bennett just believes in training and encouraging it. And, oh, there's nothing better than someone who starts with no confidence and you make them into something. And you try to encourage them to stay. And, and the only thing is that once you've given them confidence and train them, sometimes they sort of see that their path is still an upward path and they move on, okay, for progression. But really, you want them to stay with you. And I think that's one of the, the saddest things, I think, is that when someone leaves your employment, for me, I always look at myself and think, what have I done wrong? What could I have done mm. to keep, yeah. you know, I've never got over that feeling of disappointment when someone hands their notice in, you know, especially if they're good staff. Difficult one, that. Very difficult one. So what is your high point of being in the industry? Taking on JB. That's Judith, my wife. <laughs> Thank goodness she's left the room. <laughs> She would tell me off and say I took her on, but I did take her on to start with. But she <laughs> is now my partner. She insisted, quite rightly, that uh, when we went limited in, a, in 92, that she would be made a partner, which she has. And she has earned it a thousand times over. The way we work is I have the ideas, she does it. Okay, so I have the ideas, she sorts it out. You know, I think I found the warehouse bit of land and said we want that. And Judith done all the negotiations, which wasn't easy. It was a four-acre plot. We only wanted an acre. They ended up selling us two. Um, she went to the bank. She went to the planning. She'd done everything. Okay, Everything we've ever done, I mean, the South store she's sorted out, is just brilliant. Whatever, I have the ideas, and she, um, she, she sorts it out. What a team, you know, and I expect she does get dumped on quite a bit, but I do really appreciate her help. Other high points, joining Britannia, as I said earlier, and I've just been appointed to the board of Britannia. Oh, congratulations. Thanks, Colin. I've yet to sit on a, a meeting, so I can't tell you any juice. But, uh, <laughs> but, um, but that is a very proud moment for me. And, uh, but there's been many others joining the BAR, uh, yep. buying, a, uh, buying the first wagon. But I think most of all, you know, the high points are... Again, the staff, just seeing them develop, it gives you the most proudest feeling, you know, and, and you can't buy that. It's one thing um, like love, friendships, respect, trust. They're all priceless because there's no value to them and they have got to be the, the highest points of anybody's life. Can't do your work unless you have the staff or the lady beside you. Or the lady. <laughs> 
So what one thing would you change within the moving industry? That's a good question, isn't it? One of the things which I think, in my opinion, I can be wrong, and usually are. I'd like to see VAT, the threshold, down to £10,000 or something like that to make it a level playing field for everybody. Okay, there shouldn't be a difference of £80,000. That's the one thing I think I would change. I've got no real problems with three and a half tonners not being regulated. I think we should all start, but I think the enforcement should be out there and it should be that if you do a distance trip, say, I don't know, from Malvern to London, you have got a good chance of being weighed. And I know very well that if one of your drivers gets weighed on a three and a half tonner and um, he's over 30%, they prosecute you then for driving a vehicle in a dangerous condition, which is six penalty points. You ain't going to have many drivers after you've had one of those. But the trouble is, there isn't hardly any enforcement on the roads. I mean, these guys are going for years and not getting pulled over. Okay, so Colin, how is it going to change if we suddenly have O licenses for three and a half tonners? Well, they'd have to employ more people to pull over the vans. Yeah, and that's not going to happen, is it? I mean, it's probably going to be even less. But I mean, there's something like half a million trucks and probably three million transits over between two and a half and three and a half ton. I think it's going to be a mammoth job to implement. And I don't think it will happen. Although, you know, if it does, you know, I'll go along with it and I won't have an issue with it. Other things the industry could change is the completion. Although we don't do that many jobs with completion because most of the jobs we do are pretty big or the people have got keys. We do occasionally get completion, although I try to load on day of completion and deliver the, the following day. So we try to avoid it. The problem is, Colin, I often wonder, out of, say, every 100 completions, how many of those people are actually moving in on that day when you consider that there's investors, there's people in store, they don't need to move in on the day of completion, people in rentals, they don't need to move on the day of completion. And there's probably other reasons people buy them to do them up, you know. There's just so many jobs. So I, I reckon that out of probably every 100 completions, there's probably only maybe 35 which are actually moving on that day. And, and that's the problem we're going to have is to change the rules for sort of 35 people out of every 100. And I, I'd like to because I think the situation is pretty appalling. But I don't think we're going to change it because I don't think it affects enough people. Do you find that the situation is getting worse rather than better? Well, we had one last week to a new house. I think it was a Bloor home, and that was quarter to five. Yeah, I mean, and that's unacceptable in all fairness. But yes, I think the situation's getting worse. But the answer is in our own hands. We just turn around and say we load up on the day of completion and we deliver the following day. Yeah. Or just run a small van for the beds and what they need and the rest comes the following day. And of course, this is all more expensive. But for the last sort of 18 months, People have just been paying so much more for a move than they paid previously. You know, in all the time I've been in business, we've never earned much money. I mean, we've paid the warehouse off now and and we've got a nice house. But, you know, I haven't got a nice car. I've got a Skoda, baby, which I drive around. There's not fantastic money in it. There's a good living. And it's, it's taken me 35 years to actually get to a situation where we can make money and uh, we have done okay the last sort of 18 months but you know let's hope it doesn't stop let's hope it carries on we can keep getting the rates maybe we need to educate the customers more maybe we need to tell them that we can no longer move you out of your house on day one and move you into your new house on the same day maybe we need to literally just say we will move you out on day one and we will deliver either your essentials on that day and the rest of the stuff the following day, or we'll move you the majority of the stuff on day one and we'll come back on day two to get your essentials and then deliver you on day two. Yes, I think that's the answer, Colin, is education. But it's difficult to educate people that want it all done on one day. Isn't it just so? Because they'll see it as a bigger expense, won't they, at the end of the day? Yeah, I mean, we all think about one thing, and that's ourselves. And so if you're a customer, all you're thinking about is yourself yeah, getting in. Absolutely. You're not thinking about my men, 
having to work late at night. And, and of course, I'm not thinking about the customer as such. I'm thinking about my men. I want to get them back. But um, uh, so we're, we're both on different sides of the coin, you know, and, and unless we can educate them. Uh, because when these men start at 7.30, really six o'clock is the latest they should be out. And that's a long day. And it isn't a question that they can't work later, but you don't want to be working late every single day. You know, now and again is sort of okay. But we have this policy on Bennett's. It's only a five-day week. We don't do Saturdays. Only the self stores open on a Saturday. The removable trucks are all parked up. And um, I try my hardest not to have them out past six o'clock. If they're running back, then I, I don't mind a run back if they get back at seven o'clock if they've been somewhere distance but there's no lifting of furniture past six o'clock those are the sort of our unwritten rules the trouble is with educating people and it was mentioned at the bar area meeting i was at yesterday in fact and that is you could say to a client well we will load you on day one and deliver you day two and the client is going to turn around and say well the last three companies that came to gave a quote are going to move me and deliver me on one day and that's the problem it's not only the customers we need to educate it's the industry. We all need to sing from the same hymn sheet. Totally. And with the demandable system we run, a lot of the times we load the vehicles up. The first van will load up probably a week before the removal date and the second one probably on the day of completion. And then we'll drop the box off the following day. And the, second, the first box we loaded a week ago might not be delivered till a week's time. So it's reducing yeah. our need for trucks and the time the job takes. Plus, it gives us the second delivery will be delivered on a quiet day. Absolutely. What advice would you give to yourself just starting out within the industry? Now, I know you've said life straight business coaching. Is there anything else? Just treat people with respect, higher standards, nothing else differently i've loved every minute of what i've done and uh, i've loved the removal industry in fact there's not a great deal of money to be made but it's just a, a great industry there's great people and you know what other job can you do where you work with your mates you're getting physical exercise and you're getting paid for it i mean you know, come on, Colin, what can you have? Well, yeah, you're visiting, you're going to all areas of the of the UK, often Europe. You're seeing different people, you're, you're dealing with different clients every day, you're seeing different properties. It's it's a fantastic industry to be in. And it just, Not that I've ever done a removal and I'm never likely to, but... <laughs> the crews are so good and just not our crew. Most removal crews are the same. You've got to have that sort of mindset for it. If you ask any removal man, why do they do the job? And they'll say exactly what you said, Colin, but they won't say lifting a 10-ton wardrobe. No, <laughs> no you know, not that, at all. Uh, and Colin, that is what the job is, you know, lifting yeah. heavy tack. But I think the other thing about it is, you know, is we all want one thing, Colin, and that's appreciation. We all want to be told that what we're doing is worthwhile and we've done a good job. And with a removal, you do get appreciated very well most days and that really when at the end of the job it's not about the money when the customer says you've been brilliant fantastic thank you for your help it does make you feel good and then you know if they give you a tip as well well that probably makes it better for the blokes you know so it is just a wonderful job appreciation means the world to some people so where do you see yourself and the industry in the next five years well I think the removal industry is changing fast. And I think the days of the big HGV truck are slowly, sadly fading away. I think that most firms will probably only have two HGVs and that's going to be restricted by one, the amount of pay you'll need to pay the drivers. Okay, and of course, if you're paying them a lot more than a transit driver, they become uneconomical to operate, but you still need the big trucks a distance work, but locally you can use two or three low loaders on the job. They're quicker. They seem to do less damage. They're easier, quicker to use. Although I'm not a big fan of the three and a half ton market, we have them and uh, they are very useful. And, and I think it's the way the industry is going to go. Where do you see you in the next five years though? Well, I'm 
planning on retiring at 60. Okay, I was planning on 55, and then something happened to ruin the plan. And that's, <laughs> and that's my kids who all through their life have hated removals because, you know, Judith and I have talked about it, you know, every dinner meal. And suddenly Charlie turned around and said, when he left school, I want to go in the business. So I thought, drat. And Ellie, my daughter, was an aerostess for British Airways. She decided that she wanted to come and uh, be a part of the business as well. So Judith and myself, we got lumbered with family. So we've said we'll give it um, till we're 60. And uh, well, I've said I'll do it at 60. Judith might give them a bit more. And, and then I'm going to do other things, I think. What other things are you going to do, though, Alan? When I stop removals, I don't want to do another paid job. So whatever I do will be for nothing. I've done enough working for money and it's going to be, um, I'd like to give something back to the community, even going around and spreading a bit of life coaching and helping others for no yeah. money at all. I, I don't want money. I'm, I'm not really interested in, in, in money because, you know, like I've said before, everything which is of any value costs nothing. Yep. Interesting. Very interesting. So what do you do outside of the industry to switch off? Well, Colin, I've got plenty of interests. For a start, when we bought the warehouse, things sort of picked up. And the, you, when you start filling for warehouse, you start earning more money and uh, you decide the house you're living in isn't quite good enough. So we went and bought a five-acre sheep ranch just outside Malvern. And, um, and so Judith does the sheep and I built myself a barn. And I take the wagons back sometimes and we do body work, repainting. I got my bicycle. We walk the dog on the Melbourne Hills, which is one of my probably favourite pastimes at the moment. And then our biggest luxury, which I've ever bought, treated myself to. When I was 50, I went around the Morgan factory, which is local to us in Melbourne. And um, I ordered myself a Morgan. Nice. Which isn't the fastest car in the world, but it's been brilliant. The only thing is that uh, Judith said to me when I brought it home, I didn't buy it without her permission. She knew I was doing it. And <laughs> she said, it's only got two seats. I said, yeah. And I said, that's one for me. And the other one is for whoever I want to take out with me. Uh, <laughs> and, and she said, but there's three of us here. Oh, she said, what about Harry? And I thought, well, what about him? Anyway, what happened was, so, <laughs> so, so I went on a trip, because you're into motoring cars, aren't you? I am indeed. We'd done a Morgan trip um, on the centenary year to a place called Leon in France. There was a, oh, must have been the best part of 500 Morgans turn up at this do. And we had a weekend there. Oh, I'm not kidding you. It was magical. We drove down to this place called Leon and we, we just had a great trip. Anyway, when I was there, the chap we sort of got friendly with, he had a four-seater Morgan and I sort of fell in love with this four-seater. And I said to Rowley, the bloke I went with, I said, when I get back home, I'm going to have a four-seater. And uh, I found a cheap one. It's only an old one. It's been nothing but trouble um, since we've oh, had no. it. And I, I've had that five years, so I bought a four-seater. But that is what we like doing, you know. And finally, I like to end my podcasts with a funny moving story. Do you have one or more to tell? Yes, I've got um, a moving story I think I'll, I'll tell you, which will be acceptable. And then I'm going to play a little game with you, Colin, if, oh, hell. if you will participate. The funny story is something which I learned many years ago that really you shouldn't joke with your staff. And we had a crew, I had a new driver um, start and um, a new porter and we loaded them up and they were going to the Isle of Wight. I said to the driver, when you get to the ferry, things are a bit tight on this job, put the mate in the back. And I was only joking. I was only jesting. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he didn't do that, did he? Oh, he did. He did. Okay. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and when they went got to the Isle of Wight, the mate rang me up. He was late 40s and he says, Mr. Bennett, he said, that's made me feel really ill. He said, it's real bad and back up. <laughs> <laughs> Can't believe he went ahead with and it. I was, Can't believe it. And I said to him, you bloody fool. I said, I was only joking. I said, you know, the, 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 the ferry fee was like a tenner for you. I said, look, <laughs> I gave him a check in those days. We now it's on the count. I said to him, look, 
pay the tenner and come back as a as a foot passenger. <laughs> I took the next day and said, if I spent all my money on the night out, he said I had to get the van to come back as well. <laughs> brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. I love it. I love these little stories. I do. I really do. Now, so you have a game then, Alan? Yes, I've got a little game for you, Colin. We're going to see you do. I'll go through them with you. But when I started at Ernest Batty Limited in Worcester when I was 16, the removal men there had their own language. And uh, a lot of it is rhyming slang. Some of it, it, it wasn't. It just You just had names for things, okay, and there's other things I've picked up over the years. But the idea was that they could talk to each other without the customer knowing what they're on about. So Today they just text each other. <laughs> I probably do. These are the sort of things we had. And I'll start with some, well, I think is quite funny, okay. So if I said to you, Colin, a booby. A booby? Booby. A trap? Yes, exactly. Oh. A booby trap, okay, right. So there's one to you, nil to me. Okay, yeah, so basically a booby trap is a piece of glass in the load, okay, hidden behind a mattress or something, okay, so when you move the furniture, the pieces liable to fall over and break, okay, uh. many things. So that's a booby trap. A Peter Brady, so a Peter is a customer who disappears five minutes before the end of the job. And then <laughs> we have a Kenneth McKellar, that was the seller. What do you think this is then, a yogi? A yogi? No idea. Yogi bear, that's a chair. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> what about this oh. one then? What about this one? So, kiss me. Oh, my God. Are we in Blackpool? <laughs> we are. We are. Are we? <laughs> <laughs> well, this one, I'll tell you, it's kiss my ass. Ah. What is? What do you ah. Come on. No idea. That's glass. Kiss my ass is glass. <laughs> <laughs> and then we have a fruit farmer is the customer. And fruit farming is when you're buttering the customer up for the orange. Do you know what the orange is? No idea. What is the orange? The orange pip is the tip. So the tip is always known as the orange. It's never the tip. You never mention that word. It's the orange. So you're fruit farming for the orange. Okay. Now, if you don't, <laughs> if you don't get a, a tip, the bloke's are called a dry neck. That means he's a tight ass. So a dry neck. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Please uh, tell me this language isn't used today. <laughs> I, 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 you know, there's bits of it is. So if I said to you, you got the orange, and you say, what we got? And I'll say, a jacks. I didn't know this. A jacks? No idea. Jacks alive. That's a fiver. Oh, fiver. Okay. And then a, a, a cock was a cock and n, which is a tenner. The workbench is the double bed. <laughs> and uh, it just goes on. A dolly. There you are. This is one for you, Colin. A dolly. To move a piano with. No, it's a dolly mixture. That's a picture. <laughs> So we have all these sort of things. And doofer was, a doofer is anything you can't think of was a doofer. Oh, that, that still exists today. I'll get this doofer. Or a thingamajig. We have that is anything yeah. as well. And then you have things like even the names of our opposition at the time had names. There was a chap in Malvern who I bought the first lorry off called Alan Slater. And he was known as Bagger. And it was Bag of potatoes, Slater. Don't even write. They had all these names, you know. Uh, it was incredible, really. And I mean, there's other things. Uh, a bozzy. <laughs> a bozzy was walking backwards, a backwards carry. And then you have things right. like um, a donkey. What do you think a donkey is? I'm going to say an ass. Yes, that's right. A useless <laughs> person. <laughs> <laughs> and things like that and it just it went on so they had these names and i could go on for a, a lot more like you know i mean a lot of it was like rhyming slang i mean they had mickey mouse which was the house and you had apples and pears which was the stairs and faggots when you pick up a, a settee and you want to put it on its knees it was some <laughs> faggots well things like this you know but the blokes used to do whatever they could to make the day as enjoyable as it can be, because lifting heavy furniture really at the end of the day isn't much fun. It has to be more to it than that, or else you just wouldn't do the job, you know? 
I can see people joining now and be given a handbook. Here's the handbook of slang that you must use on a job. I think all those old men who used to say the slang have gone. And what I've told you today is probably only a small part. They could go on and talk in riddles all day. And I worked there with these blokes for the best part of four years. And sometimes I never had a clue what they were talking about, to be honest with you. Maybe we need to bring that book back. We do. We do. Most definitely. Well, Alan, thank you very much for giving up your time today to record an episode of Moving Matters with me. I truly appreciate it. Thank you, Colin. Thank you for your time. Well, I've really enjoyed it. It's been a great sort of three quarters an hour or however long. Absolutely. Thanks a lot. A great laugh. Thank Thank you very much. Thank you, Colin. I sincerely hope you enjoyed episode 35 of Moving Matters. Please rate, review and subscribe in your favourite podcast player of choice and please tell your industry colleagues about Moving Matters. My thanks and appreciation go to Alan Bennett of Britannia Bennett's of Malvern for giving up his time to record this episode. Thank you again, Alan. If you would like to know more about Britannia Bennett's of Malvern and the services they provide, then you will find links within the show notes for this episode and on our webpage, movingmatterspodcast.co.uk. And please, if you have a funny moving story that can be relayed to our listeners or you would like to be a guest on the podcast, then do reach out to me by completing the contact form on our webpage, movingmatterspodcast.co.uk. Well, that is all from me. So until next time, keep moving. <laughs>